Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Adam Sos here for Rebel News with a troubling update. Pastor Tim Stevens of Fairview Baptist Church has been arrested for proceeding with worship today. For those of you not familiar with Pastor Tim Stevens, he's nothing like Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. He's a quiet, reserved man who is simply leading his congregation in worship. He didn't make this a large political deal. He wasn't uh, an outspoken opponent to the authorities. He simply wanted to proceed with worship. Well, in Alberta, in this day and age, apparently that is not to be tolerated. So he was cornered today after worship by a large police force, he and his family. I just got off the line with our videographer, K2, who was on the scene, and he told me it was the hardest thing he has ever seen. It's not the civil magistrate's job, uh, the government's job, to regulate or restrict our worship. And so we're freely coming together, peaceful citizens, uh, to worship Christ because he is worthy. In terms of what that means now, I don't really know. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches, trying to discourage them from gathering together. I think they don't understand that Christians are committed to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of the consequences. And we are so blessed today to have with us Pastor Tim Stevens, pastor of Fairview Baptist Church. You've probably heard his story by now or remembered what happened earlier. Um, He started his ministry in 2014. And he grew up on a farm in eastern Ontario, graduated with a computer engineering degree from Queen's University and a Master's of Divinity degree from Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. Happily married to Raquel. And uh, Tim Stevens, want to welcome you to Stand Up for the Truth. Well, thank you so much, David, for having me. Well, thank you for, allowing, well, for sharing your story. We can't wait to hear uh, the le- latest developments and um, let's just start with uh, your background going up to uh, what we already know happened. And um, I do want to get an update on any possible fines and citations because it seems like, from what I understand, the Canadian government is going to perhaps try to make an example out of people like you and Pastor James Coates. And uh, we want to get to that. But first, your background um, Tim, uh, you really didn't go into the ministry, but then you uh, read some material by uh, John MacArthur, Paul Washer, and others, and really convicted you and your wife in that direction. So share a little bit about that background for us. Sure. Yeah, I, I grew up, probably, um, you know, we went to church when I was young, and my, my hearing, I guess, wasn't wasn't that good, or... or um, I had so many things in the world that I that I loved and that distracted me, and so I didn't really think much of the things that I was I taught or I'd heard growing up. And so when I was a teenager, you know, I, I having the choice of whether to attend church or not, I didn't attend church, and uh, I enjoyed computers and and uh, you know sports, those kind of things. So I just pursued those things, and the going to, going to university uh, for computer engineering, getting a job in that field. And I thought, you know, I was in my mid to late 20s, uh, you know, ha- happily in a relationship. 
and uh, looking forward to marriage and, and a life and a career and and having having a home, having all these things that that the world says you're successful. Mm-hmm. You have a career and you have um, you know stability. You have you have you have family, and so I I thought I had everything set. And it was at that time that someone actually sent us a, a message by, by Paul Washer. And the first sermon my wife had ever heard, and the first time I ever heard the gospel really explained as a way that, that was was more than simply, you know, ask a, say a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart and you'll go to heaven when you die, but really has no bearing upon your life. That's, that's how I kind of understood being mm. a Christian. Wow. And so then to, to hear that and then to try to listen to more from, from, from Paul Washer, you know, Found, found John MacArthur, all, all these these men who are online and have such resources, and uh, so it was through that time that both my, at the time my, my girlfriend, who would then become my my wife, we started listening and and tried to attend a, a local church here. And it was really one one Sunday evening, we were at a local church, and, and the pastor preached on a message uh, from First John two fifteen, how if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And so I went to him after, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm in love with the world, mm. and uh, what do I do? And so he, uh, he gave me very simple advice to, to read my Bible and pray, and, and we had been trying to do that as best we could. And that night I wrote a list of all these uh, items in the world that I loved that, uh, that I was unwilling to give up if that meant I needed to do that, to follow Jesus. Mm. And I just prayed that God would, would change, change my heart, and, and God was so very gracious, both to me and my wife, to, to change our heart, to give us a love for Him, a love for the Church, a love for His truth. And so that was that just started a, a real, it was, it was a, a real conversion, a real change in our lives. And we've been, we've been committed to Church, committed to His Word, uh, committed to seek what it means to serve Him since that time. So that was in 2008, and so it led, led to me starting pastoral ministry in 2014 after, after three years in seminary. Hmm. And it's been... It's been great. It's been a, a work of church revitalization and uh, just just seeking to faithfully preach the word, and that that really led us to what took place over this this past season. I actually remember when I was candidating for for the church that I'm pastoring right now. I was I was given a topic to teach during Sunday school, and it was on the separation of church and state. <laughs> and I look back I look back at my notes even now and I'm like it's exactly what I what I taught when I when I first came and, and it seemed to be the, the historic view that God has so instituted authority in the church that is that is different than the authority is given the state is given the state the, the power to wield the sword to execute justice but he has not given worship to the state in terms of the state restricting or defining what it looks like when we come together to worship amen. And so when when things started getting tight here in Canada, and I'm not sure what restrictions were like in, in, in your neck of the woods, but around Christmas time, it kept getting tighter and tighter, and finally it came down to, to no more than, than 15 people were allowed to gather in a church. No more than 10 could gather outside. You could have nobody in your home here in Alberta for, for about six months. You know, you could have no, no outsiders inside. It was... It was getting really tight and really hard to be faithful to obey the commands of Christ and Scripture, and so we as a church had already decided before that when there was a conflict between the orders of our government and the orders of Christ, we would obey Christ rather than men. Mm. And so in, in January, our church gatherings were um, became became news here locally and then across our country. And at that point, uh, because we're in a city of about about a million people, and 
you know, and that news travels around here in our in our country. The government started to increase enforcement action. So first, they started with fines towards me, and then they started issuing me court summons. And a court summons is really a, a fine with no number on it. You have to go appear before a judge, and the judge assigns that that number, and that could be up to hundred thousand dollars for a first offense, up to five hundred thousand for repeated offenses. Wow! And so we when we when we met through through January and February, it was just um, you know one week they would we we come together to worship on Sunday, and they would come to the door of my house on on Tuesday or or Wednesday and issue me these summons. And that took place for a while until um, James Coates went to jail, and we realized this is this is really getting serious. Um, and so we we knew the cost was was not only going to be financial, but but possible imprisonment. Mm. And it, it was it was shocking because you know we we recognize here in Canada that uh, you know we're not exactly a bastion of, of conservatism and religious freedom, but yet. <laughs> It was still shocking that a pastor would would go to jail um, here, and and James Coates be there for thirty five days, wow, because he refused to to limit the people that came to to worship, mm-hmm. just had his doors open, and so we knew that would be the case here, and it, but it seemed like our, our authorities were were not sure what to do. So later in uh, later in May, actually, is when I was first arrested, and uh, was. In the Remand Center, which is a you know a maximum security facility here in Calgary, I was there for three days, and then I was arrested again in in June because they had they had locked up our church facility, our church building, so no one can enter as a way to try to discourage us from gathering. And so we were meeting outside, uh, but outside our, our gatherings were still larger than what was permitted, and so they actually uh, they actually issued me another another court order. They had tried to use court orders to, to stop our gatherings and we had ignored those. And so they, they arrested me on, on June 14th and I spent the rest of the month of June in prison because we, we simply refused to gather or refused to listen to their edicts to stop our gatherings. And, and even when I was in jail, when James Coates was in jail, you know, our churches continue to gather. Uh, there were, there are many other men who are willing to stand up and, and to continue to preach the word, uh, to, to celebrate the ordinances. And so, there's no way that they were going to stop our churches from gathering. Um, I guess they haven't haven't read church history. What happens whenever you seek to, um, you know, persecute or dissuade Christians from meeting? It simply encourages them all the more to do that. Yes, and that's what we've seen in our church. Our church has has grown exponentially through this time. We, it it, it kind of didn't look that way through the midst of all the the uh, the pressure that the police and the media were bringing on. It was a very challenging time for our church. But at this point, with it, with an ease of restrictions, our church has grown tremendously. We've received such wonderful support from all across our city, our, our province, uh, around our country, around the world, in fact. And so we're just thankful that the Lord has chosen to bless in such ways mm. for for faithfulness through through time of trial. And at, at this point, just to update you on what's most recently taking place, at sure. this point, I'm... I'm still facing a number of charges, including a, a criminal charge that uh, for, for breaking a, a health order. So that with criminal charge comes further jail time. So that's still a possibility for me to go back to jail mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm convicted. And and certainly the the charges that are against me are not a big whodunit. It, it, there's lots of evidence that I was gathering the church. <laughs> and so it's just a matter of mm-hmm. whether 
the judges here will will respect religious freedom and liberty here in Canada, and that that hasn't been the case so far. You know, there's been no successful court wins here in Canada over this issue. Mm. So I'm I'm not looking to the courts for vindication, but rather to the heavenly court. Amen. And then, so right now I have a have a court date next month where I have to appear in person. Uh, the judge wants me in there. And so so we'll see. I have six or seven of these court summons against me, so uh, quite a large monetary possibility, a penalty, uh, possible jail time. And then there's one charge that is against our church as an entity, which also they did because they can, they can levy higher fines towards an organization than they can to an individual. Hmm. And, and I imagine this is going to take months, if not years, to make its way through the court system. I know James Coates, he's waiting for a date uh, in January to see what, what's going to happen next in his case. And so this is, this is going to take, uh, take a long time, but that's where things are at right now. We're speaking with Pastor Tim Stevens, Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary. And um, Tim, I know that this could play out for quite some time, and that must be to some degree unnerving. But I know that you totally went ahead believing that you were uh, obeying God, not man. And what advice can you give some pastors, whether it be in Canada or the United States, who may be uh, facing something similar in the near future? Because as you know, these, you know, the, the, the Delta variant and these other possible threats that the government might deem um, necessary to use emergency orders again to some degree, this could happen. This could be nonstop. This could be our, our new normal, so to speak. So a lot of people are, are encouraged by your stand and what advice can you give church leaders and pastors who maybe did not believe they should have um, disobeyed government and opened their doors and had church services? Right. That's a great question, David. Mm. And what I'd say to other, other pastors and Christians out there that are listening is um, you, you need to really wrestle with these scriptures yourselves, you know, don't as a pastor, you know, t- turn to the, the most popular blogs or Christian leaders and, and to see what they're saying and just do likewise. Uh, we, we need to wrestle with these truths and, and wrestle with them in such a way that we're not just trying to find find a reason to, to go along with, with a decision that we think is, is best or most prudent. Mm. We want to be principled men. We want to be men who who act based upon our convictions that derive from Scripture and not what we read in the newspaper or popular opinion or, or what people even may be saying within our church. You know, we, we are called to lead, and uh, we are called to lead with Scripture, and so we need to be convinced of the Word. And and then having having that, that theology that is derived from the Word that, that deals with with matters of public interest, then, then I would recommend we need, we need to teach our people. And I, I know our people don't want to hear about COVID week in and week out. Um, I, I certainly... I'm sick of talking about, about COVID-19 and all, all the things the media continues to drone into our ears. But I, what, I would, what I had done during this whole time was, was to use, use my pen um, to, to, to write to our church. So I was releasing an article or a blog almost, almost every week. So that way that my, my preaching was, 
was not always addressing COVID-19, but my preaching, I, I would continue our, our regular sermon series. I was preaching to the, to the book of Job, actually, through that time, which was very fitting for the, for the coming trial. But yet, I was writing each and every week, and, and those emails to our church were not only helpful to our own congregation as, they, as we address, you know, concerns about, about COVID-19 and what that might mean for the church, but it also was helpful for folks outside of our congregation, and, and they were shared, in some cases, widely. And that really encouraged so many other believers mm. who, who weren't being led by their own pastors. You know, they had, hadn't heard anything yes. besides, besides maybe a quick Romans 13, we should obey the government. But, but they knew as time went on, that answer wasn't satisfying. And, and they really wanted to, to grapple with what they were hearing and what that meant for Christians. And so, you know, I, I'm continuing to write that because right now in, in Canada, you know, they're introducing vaccine passports in a number of our provinces. They're yep. making it mandatory for traveling uh, with an airplane, even within our country, uh, on a train or a cruise ship. Like, and so that, that has become a, a serious issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, have, we have people in our congregation who work for the federal government, and federal government has made it mandatory for all federal workers to have, have their, both, uh, their vaccines. And so eliminating any kind of uh, choice or any kind of conscience issue over this. And so we need to be teaching our people about how, how to navigate through that. So as past pastors, you know, people are, are looking to you to, uh, to help them navigate and to bring the Bible to bear on that. So that would be my recommendation. No, be, be convinced of, of what you ought to do scripturally, and then teach your people and teach them well. Amen. And uh, you're certainly not backing away from controversy. I appreciate an um, article you have called A Biblical Response to Mandatory Vaccines. And one of the things in there, one of the paragraphs, it says, if you believe Romans 13, you will oppose mandatory vaccines. And I appreciate that. I'll put that article in today's podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com so people can go and read that and hear uh, your thoughts on that. And I'm sure they are well informed because of what you have been through. Um uh, Pastor Tim, you recently had the opportunity. Well, let me go back something that I wanted to ask you. In the beginning, your church was not united on your decision um, so to meet, to uh, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, the body of Christ, to meet for worship. And so you lost some members, and I don't want to gloss over any points that you might be able to clarify, but it wasn't not they weren't all of a sudden behind you 100% from the beginning, the whole congregation, because you did lose some members, but now you are a even larger and stronger church. Please share a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, that was, David, that was the most difficult thing throughout this. You know, people might think, well, going to prison is difficult. <laughs> In fact, what was most difficult was to lose members and and and, and family members, really. These are people that uh, I had known for years, that you've prayed with, that you've, you've labored in gospel ministry with. And so to have a sharp disagreement, like, like Paul and Barnabas, and to go separate ways was, was very difficult. Mm. But, but back in May 2020, uh, we, had, we had opened, even though we weren't allowed as a church, and we had meetings as a church leading up to that time. I had written uh, a more lengthier essay about obeying God rather than men. And, and while we were not all in agreement, the majority of our members were ready to move forward on the idea that we would take health mandates uh, and guidelines from the government as, as guidelines, as recommendations, 
yet we would not budge from what the Word of God commands. And so we would never forsake hospitality, the gathering together, the celebration of the ordinances, hmm. or, or allowing the government to dictate the, the form and the manner in which we, which we worship. And even the the clothing that you wear, you know, covering your face or such. So, so we had made that decision as a congregation, or at least the majority of the congregation approved. And while some didn't feel comfortable attending our gatherings because we weren't following all government measures, we were still we were still together and had an understanding. But really, what when when police started getting involved, when the media was involved, and of course making us look at the bad guys, then we had a number of our members uh, begin to resign. Mm. And uh, and that was that was painful, and we still have a um, a few that have resigned. You know, months following that, so that was that was difficult. And really, I recognize that we, as a church here in our province, at least, uh, were in the minority. There's we we were publicly open in Calgary, which is a city of a million, and then we had Grace Life Church up in Edmonton, you know, another city of a million, million mm-hmm. three hours up north that were open publicly. But besides besides our two churches, there were, there were a few others exactly that were open publicly in a province of four and a half million people, and, and was known as the conservative province. We, we were known as the Bible Belt of Canada, <laughs> and so it was, it was it was shocking. So it was it was hard that a few of our members were in disagreement, but yet they were hearing. Um, what the majority of Christians were hearing in our country was you need to follow the rules. Otherwise you're, you're disobeying Romans 13, which was, which is unfortunate that uh, so many Christian leaders chose that, that narrative. Hmm. Uh, we're going to have to take a break. We're with pastor Tim Stevens and he's with Fairview Baptist church in Calgary. Great story, inspiring and uh, eye opening. We should all be concerned about what might be coming down the road. When we come back, we're going to ask him about something he said in an interview about government becoming more religious, not necessarily the church becoming more political. More with Pastor Tim Stevens in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Pastor Tim Stevens. Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary. By the way, um, what is it with Fairview Baptist Churches? Um, Our friends down in Edmond, Oklahoma, co-pastors Paul Blair and Dan Fisher, uh, troublemakers for the kingdom, they're also at Fairview Baptist Church. I find that to be very interesting. And they've had um, uh, Arthur Pulowski speak there. They've had Dr. Lee Merritt. They've had, who knows, you know, Trevor Loud and all kinds of... uh, experts and troublemakers for for God um, at that church. And so I just find that to be an interesting uh, connection with Fairview Baptist Church. And by the way, um, Dan Fisher wrote a small book called um, on Romans 13 called Unlimited Submission? Question mark. So, Pastor Tim, we want to ask you about the, the political um, process here when you said in an interview a couple months ago, I believe, that it's not necessarily the fact that the church has become political. What's happening is government, or what has happened, is government has become religious, meaning they're telling us what marriage is, they're telling us what what life in the womb is and whether it should be protected or not. They're telling us about gender, and now they're telling us how and when we can worship. So please expound on that thought, which is very important to clarify. 
Right. Through this time, I've been getting backlash from other, other Christians, other church leaders, saying that, you know, the, the only reason why our doors are open through this time is because because I've been influenced by politics, and, and our church has become very political, and we're, we're driven by a political agenda, and we've deviated from the truth of the gospel. And if I was a, pow- if I was a pastor who's faithful, I would, I would get out of politics and focus on the gospel. Hmm. And so I'm really, I'm really out of my lane as a <laughs> pastor. And, and it's, it's ironic that they would say that to me when it is, in fact, our government who is out of their lane. It, it is the government who, is, like we see in Romans 13, is, is given the sword to execute justice on the wrongdoer. And so to, to rule on matters like what you might wear when you go to worship, on how many can come together to worship, whether you can sing or not, whether you can celebrate the Lord's Supper or not, you know, whether you can have someone in your home or not. You know, th- these are all matters that explicitly are, are given to the Church in Scripture. And are, and are not given to the government. They, they are far out of their lane, so they, they become more religious. Mm-hmm. And the other ideas, other items that you mentioned there, in terms of, of marriage, in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality, our government continues to rule in those areas. Yep. And uh, and, and really, those areas are, are not to be determined by any earthly government. Uh, those, those are foundational to creation. Those are foundational in God's Word. Amen. And so they're entering in on, on religious um, matters, and really, the government, uh, in in their denial of God, are, are setting themselves up as God, as lawgiver, which is which is who God is. You know, as as the government is is, it, especially in our country, uh, position itself as as the one who is benevolent to all. We'll, we'll provide you. We'll give you a job. We'll give you money. We'll give you health care. We'll give you everything. And uh, and then people don't realize that when all that responsibility is given to the government. And you have no freedom. You are now slaves to the state. Yes. They set themselves up as God and as, and as really as tyrants. And that's what we see happening. I want to quote Dr. Francis Schaefer from 1982 and get your response, uh, Pastor Tim. He said, this is 1982. We must understand something very thoroughly. If the state gives the rights, it can take them away. They are not inalienable. If the state gives rights, they can change and manipulate them. But the Founding Fathers believed there was a creator and that this creator gave inalienable rights. That is what has given us the freedoms which we still have. And then he said this, We are losing those freedoms, and we can expect to continue to lose them if this other worldview continues to take increased force and power in our country. End quote. Dr. Francis Schaefer, 1982. And that's just not for our country, but for North America. Pastor Tim Stevens, your response? Well, he's exactly right. I can say that in our country, religious freedoms have, have slowly been eroded. And what we're seeing today is, is really due to a foundation of Christianity and a Christian worldview, the sense that, that God is, is Lord of all, of all, and the government is accountable to God, and, and he is a lawgiver and not man. And so I think what we're seeing today is just, just the fruit of that. I know in our own country, we do have a constitution, we do have a, a charter of rights and freedoms, which is the highest law of our land, which gives us religious freedom, and freedom of, of assembly, of conscience, of, of those of those good things that we appreciate. Those are all liberties that flow from, from God's Word. But yet, the very opening statements of our charter 
say that these rights and these freedoms, they can be um, taken away or can be qualified if it's demonstrably justified. And that statement is, is an atrocious statement wow. in our documents because it really means that the government really has the ability to decide at the end of the day whether these rights can be taken away or not. And so through, through this time, the courts haven't been our friend and judges haven't been our friends because they say, well, you know, your rights certainly have been infringed on, but yet COVID-19 is here and this is a dangerous disease. And so we're justified in taking away these rights. Hmm. And so it's essentially that, that, that document is, is worth about as much as the paper is printed on and no more mm-hmm. for us. And, and so it goes exactly to show what Francis Schaeffer said is true and what he had been warning about. But yet, uh, so many are still are still asleep to the fact that we are in great jeopardy here in Western nations of losing the very heritage, the Christian heritage, the foundation we have of liberty and freedom, and the the the, the chaos, the destruction, the turmoil that we even see happening today in places like Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not immune to, to suffering that in the future. That's right. If we continue down this course, and. Pastor Tim, going back to something you said at the very beginning of this interview uh, podcast today, um, you said something about in your own personal journey before your full-on commitment to Christ and true conversion with uh, you and uh, your wife, um, um, Raquel, you said you had a love for this world. And I think in North America, we've been the anomaly over the entire world when it comes to persecution here. We're seeing more of it. We're seeing discrimination against Christians. We're seeing a hostile government toward the biblical worldview, but not to the degree that we've seen essentially throughout the throughout history and around the world. But we have been conditioned in North America to really love this life and love this world. And as one famous motivational uh, pastor who's very— uh, wealthy and uh, it's 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 about living your best life now. And by the way, that that same uh, I, I don't want to I don't know if I call him a pastor, but uh, he said he he wants to stay in his own lane when it comes to politics. And what you were talking about earlier, men like that will never address the issues of creation, of abortion, of gender, of marriage, of family, of religious freedom. They will not stand with a a backbone against these and lead their congregations because they've come to love this life. I would love to get your thoughts on that because I think overall, as a body of Christ in North America, um, boy, we're learning the hard way because we have been seduced by the things of this world. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree, David. You know, it's certainly a real issue here, and you know, the, the divisions that have been exposed because of COVID-19, I think are divisions that have always been there, mm-hmm. but maybe not, not seen. And this has been the pressure that has exposed allegiance. And certainly a love for the world we see in Scripture um, takes, takes people away uh, from, from the truth of the gospel. It keeps them from, from enduring in the faith. And I, I certainly see that happening here. And, and one area that I see it interestingly happening is, is because no one likes to say that they're worldly, or no one would confess that they're worldly, or, or that they're in love with the things of the world, unless they're, you know, God has, has gripped their heart and they're, and they're repenting of that. But so often it's, it's professed to say, well, I'm, I'm doing these things as a, as a testimony and a witness to the world. That is, we, we, can't, we can't offend the world, and we can't live too differently than the world, otherwise 
then the world will will not like us and and they'll hate us mm. and so we have many Christians here and many church leaders here that say that the reason why they're going along with the world in so many aspects of this and the reason why they don't want to take you know a public stand on on issues like abortion or homosexuality or at least at least not you know be public about that is because if the world sees that, then the world will think that they're, they're haters, they're not nice people, and so they'll, they'll turn away from them, and then they'll turn away from Jesus. And, and the, the, the Christian message is not, you know, the world is going to love you because you're just like them, and in loving you, they're going to love Jesus. That's just, that's just not the way the gospel works. Um, the Christians have always been hated, they've always been reviled, but yeah, the gospel is powerful in that people are saved from their sin and out of the world because they see that Christ is greater. Mm. And, and that they have forgiveness of sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a promise of new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to look different than, than your, their old life. And it's going to be costly. But yet it's certainly worth it because you gain God himself and eternal life with him. And so worldliness is, is a huge issue. And it's very subtle in, in how it manifests mm. in our hearts and the life of the church. And uh, certainly in the West, we've, we've coddled right up to the world mm-hmm. uh, in the Western Church. Yes, and, and sadly, we tend to believe the lies, that if you're popular with the world, then you must be doing something right as far as a church. You start thinking of numbers and growth. Um, you're, you might be lacking depth. You might be lacking sound doctrine, the whole counsel of God. Um, but if you are popular in the world's eyes, and so we've been, we've been kind of duped in a way. But I want to go back to something that um, you shared, and this is about what is happening in Canada, and it's coming to America. We're not far behind when it comes to some of these things. Uh, we've heard that when a pastor addresses something as basic in Scripture as homosexuality, which I'm thinking uh, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about a whole list of of sins, and then it says, such were some of you. It says were, so it's not just pointing out the homosexual as the worst of sinners, but yet, if you talk about that, and there's something coming down the road, I would love to hear your your thoughts on what's happening in Canada as far as, quote, conversion therapy, meaning someone just wants to counsel biblically someone who is in that kind of sin. So, Pastor Tim, uh, just clarify what's happening where this basic concern is in going on in Canada. Sure. Right now, what's going on in Canada is, is really an example of the government becoming more religious. And there is a bill on the table called uh, a ban on conversion therapy, and, and it's, it's passed our, our House uh, and uh, our members of Parliament. It's now in our Senate before it's approved and then becomes becomes a, a federal criminal you know offense to to try to coach or persuade someone even even to reduce uh, sexual behavior or, or, or orientation their, their gender identity towards only only one direction it, it, it's not a criminal offense to to try to convert someone as long as you're trying to convert them to the norm of, of the new sexual ethic in our world. But, mm. if, but if you hold to Christian creational norms and you're trying to persuade someone that they ought to embrace God's design for them for gender and sexuality, then that's, that'll be a criminal offense in Canada. Wow. Already in my city, that conversion therapy law has, has become a pass of the bylaw, with a, and it's, it's on the books as the highest 
fine possible. They, they gave it the highest penalty they could as a municipality. And when, when that was passed in our municipality, this was, this was actually last year in 2020, it was passed on a Monday. And that Monday night, I did a live stream for our church. And, and, I, and I preached a message that essentially showed all who would, would listen that, that we, we will not and we cannot comply because we're out here preaching good news to those who are confused with their gender and sexuality. And while it's not the, 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 the most heinous of all sins and, and certainly is not the unforgivable sin, as you, as you read, such were some of you, but you were changed, you were washed, sanctified. And so I, I preached the message offering um, the gospel of grace to those people confused with their gender, articulating what is true conversion, and that we as a church would never be silent on these issues. And so I, I, as, as these things continue to come in our own country, I think it's important that we have a strong voice, and I would love if we had many churches mm-hmm. uh, who would have that strong voice together. That way, uh, what's important to realize is, is while the government has this agenda and while the media has this agenda, there are so many people out there who are, who are confused, and who, who need a strong voice yes. uh, from, from the Christian side of things, from, from God's side of things, from the, from the Word. And so we ought to not uh, silence ourselves or censor ourselves because we fear consequences, but rather be ready for those consequences and go and, go and preach. Mm. What you said is, I mean, I agree 100%. I'm sure the listeners to this podcast are going, yes, they're probably cheering on the other side of the uh, you know, iPhone, radio, podcast. Um, but we, we just don't see that enough. Pastors and leaders being willing, willing to shepherd, willing to lead their flocks by example and stand on the Word of God. Boy, what is it going to take, I wonder. But we've got to take another break. Uh, Pastor Tim Stevens is with us today from Fairview Baptist Church, Calgary. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on up there, and including... Um, other pastors coming together. I know you just had a visit from James Coates, and we're going to have to lock arms with like-minded warriors for the truth across North America, so we need to be willing to do that. More with Pastor Tim Stevens in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're with Pastor Tim Stevens this morning, and uh, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, I just have this in front of me I'd like to share. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Pastor Tim, share a little bit about what your kids, and now you know you have eight kids uh, with uh, you and Raquel, what they have witnessed through this journey, through them seeing you go through preaching, going through standing on the word, believing, having your convictions, and then being arrested, please share uh, what you have uh, noticed as far as their watching their dad go through this and being a man of his word and a man of integrity. Yeah, our kids are, my oldest is 12 years old and my youngest is, eight months old, so some, some of our kids are, are too young to even realize what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, but the older ones, um, 
you know, they're, they're doing well now. They, they realize we, we've taught them through this time. They realize that what their dad doing, what dad is doing is in keeping with historic Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to jail the first time, my, my wife asked, you know, what do you want the boys to read? And I told them to read Five English Reformers by J.C. Ryle, mm-hmm. which is a, a book that, that takes elements out of Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and talks about these, these martyrs back in, back in England in the 1550s. As, as a way that my, my sons would realize that what dad is doing is consistent with historic Christianity. So we look back and we see men like John Bunyan and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and these reformers as heroes of the faith. But in, the, in their day, they were the minority. They were reviled even by other Christians. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, they counted the cost to follow Jesus and they did that. And so our kids uh, realize that. They, they still pray for me when we, when we pray at night. My little four-year-old still prays that Daddy doesn't go back to jail. Oh. And so it's, uh, it, it's, it's cute in one sense, and in another sense it's sad mm. that we, we have you know, a pastor family in Canada, and, and the children are praying that Dad won't go back to jail. But, mm. So they know that that's a possibility, especially as the fall comes around and other things continue to come. And, and, and now much of our, uh, the ministry, you know, my beliefs, are public, and they're certainly counter to what our government wants. And so I'm, I'm taking heart that, that God will provide for my wife and my children. And really, if, if your listeners aren't familiar with John Rogers, uh, I would encourage them to, to learn about John Rogers. He was a man with 10 children. And when, when Queen Mary took the throne in England with, with a vow to stamp out Protestantism and stop the Reformation, well, John Rogers, uh, he entered the pulpit on, on the day of her ascension to the throne and, and preached a message against the pestilence of popery and warned his people not to turn to idolatry. And so he was put in jail and uh, later burned at the stake mm. for that, leaving his wife and 10 children behind, but yet an example to them of faithfulness, of courage, of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ that it still moves me to tears to think mm. about. When we think about what men of God have sacrificed through the centuries, um, it is sobering whether it's uh, getting the Bible translated or just simply standing up for the truth of the gospel uh, in the midst of severe opposition or persecution. It's humbling, and I know to a man like yourself, obviously, but now the tables have kind of flipped here, Tim, and and people are looking at you, not as as a, a savior, not as someone to be elevated, but we need godly examples of men who are going to take a stand for the truth and take a stand on the faith of God's Word and not back down. And we have seen so much that we've been disappointed through the decades and maybe even centuries of of men willing to just maybe conform to the world and back down rather than take a stand such as yours. So we're encouraged by you. And I think I mentioned in an email when we connected uh, uh, whether it was a month ago or so, I said, your stand stiffens the spines of other church leaders and pastors and everyday uh, believers in the body of Christ. So thank you, and I w- would love for you to just share a little bit about your recent experience with uh, Pastor James Coates and his wife Erin coming for, I guess it was a surprise visit a couple weeks ago. They came to your church, and of course, Pastor James Coates was also in prison. Um, that must have strengthened your own faith, and been a, that was a probably a very nice time of re- refreshment for you personally. Yeah, I've known James for many years, 
and uh, he's he's been an acquaintance. But of course, when you're we're three hours away, and you each have your own ministry, uh, we we didn't communicate too much. Uh, we knew of each other and would correspond once in a while. But yet, when when things started uh, heating up here in COVID in, in 2020, we we connected again, and we realized that we were on the same page on this issue, and, and that started to really. Um, encourage friendship between the two of us. And so on, on Sundays after our, our services, we would be texting each other to see, you know, if the police showed up or, or what had happened because we were, we were wondering what, what enforcement might look like as we continued our course to follow our biblical convictions. And, and really when James went to jail, that, that completely sealed in my mind that, that the course is set. We, we cannot uh, back down or cave or cower. And so that hmm. is, his imprisonment really, like you said, it, it puts steel in your spine. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it makes you, I'm not going to flinch because look at that faithful brother. I can't let him languish alone in prison. Mm. And so whenever him and, and Aaron came down a few weeks ago to our church, you know, they, they were on vacation. They're actually turned away at the border, not allowed to cross and, and visit your country. And so they decided to come and, and, and vacation around where we are. And so they, they were with us at, at church for a couple of weeks and, you know, we had visited them in Edmonton uh, during this time as well. And when we were together, you know, James is such a dear brother. I, I love him so very much. Uh, Raquel and Aaron get along so well. Because it, not only are you co-laborers in the gospel, you know, leaders in your church, mm. but you're, you're so convinced on the truthfulness of God's Word, and, and, and as it relates to this issue, it, even especially, and willing to go to jail and, and to share that experience together. Is something that will will unite us together, you know, for for all of eternity. Amen. And so he is he is a brother that I still look to uh, for courage, for confidence, and I know he said that that I've done the same thing for him. And so it, it's it's a mutual encouragement. And uh, and and these are these are brothers that uh, you know you'll have relationships for years and years and, and, and forever. And so I love him so very much. Mm. Sweet fellowship, um, uh, Tim. There's something I. Th- I think I didn't ask you about when you were in jail. Um, you had the opportunity, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you could have been released earlier if you'd been willing to compromise and sign over something saying you will obey the government, you will not hold services. Could you clarify that and, and uh, the stand that you took at that time, and how much longer from that point did you uh, have to stay in jail? Yeah, that was the same for both James Coates and myself. In the fact that I, d- I don't think the government actually wanted us to go to jail. That was that was simply the the punishment or the threat that they were waving, hoping that we would that we would bow before them and and obey their edicts. Mm. They didn't think that a, a pastor would actually willingly go to jail and not sign a document that said, and, and in my case, that I'm going to follow all health orders personally and that I will not. Um, you know, will not defy them as a church. Will not will not lead our congregation to worship or to join them in worship if we're in contravention to any kind of public health order. So I was I was unwilling to sign that because I'm like this is against my commissions. This is against my conscience. Uh, this is against the the religious freedoms that are said to be protected in our country. And so I had a number of people try to convince me and dissuade me. Uh, whether those are, are lawyers, whether those were, were police officers, whether those are guards at the jail, uh, wanting me wanting me to sign because like there's no reason why you should be here. You should be at home with your family, and and they, they didn't realize that this was a matter of of conviction 
this wasn't a political statement I was trying to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when I refused to sign that, uh, that meant that I was I was in jail until either my my trial date or so the government you know dropped those those charges. And so when I was in there in June, well in, in May I would I would came out because there was actually an error they they had served. They served me improperly. The court injunction had actually given to somebody else, <laughs> and so that, those charges in May were dropped against me. But in June, when they arrested me again, they had done it properly. They had served me properly, and they had they had arrested me properly. And so I was going to be in in jail until my my court date. Hmm. And so that was sometime in July, and I was in there on June 14th. So I knew I was going to be there for about a month or so. It's what, how long James Coase was there, uh, maybe even longer if that court date was pushed back. Wow. But on July 1st here in Canada. Uh, or here in Alberta, our, our, our province, health restrictions were 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 dropped. And along with that came that court order that was part of the conditions that I was in jail for. And so late, later that day, I was able to come out. And also that same day, our, our church, the locks came off our church so we could enter our facility again. And uh, so while I still have those charges against me, uh, because the health restrictions now are, are gone, that I'm, I'm able to have my, my freedom. Although those health restrictions may come back in the fall, and if they do, you know, if if if, if the vaccines aren't our savior, like our government is saying, and, <laughs> and lockdowns come again, then my wife and I realize it'll mean I'm going back to jail. Mm. That must be sobering, and um, yeah, just I know you trust the Lord. Um, yeah. This is interesting. It's it's wasn't it nice of the government to unlock your church, so you could, so you could have services again. Um, boy, that's very kind of them. But your flock has been growing, from what I've uh, read a little bit online. I see there's an article over at Rebel News. Um, you've been gathering. Your the numbers have been increasing. I'm sure people have been encouraged by the development. And I'm sure at the same time you prepared them for the possibility of your going back to prison. So how do you, I'm sure you continue to conduct services. Uh, how do you um, respond when it comes to sharing with your own congregation? I'm sure you don't beat a dead horse, but they know that there's a very real possibility that their pastor might end up in jail again, correct? That's right. So our, our church has grown. And in fact, when when the government unlocked our facility, we were too big of a gathering to even meet in our facility. We had we had a an auditorium and we had an overflow space and and all of that was overflowing, uh, including our, our hallways were full of people um, and so people outside who wanted to come in. So we we actually are are meeting at different locations as we're looking for a more permanent location and and every week people continue to come because they're they're looking for principal leaders, uh, principal pastors, they, they want to hear the word preached and they want to know that the, the guy preaching the word actually believes it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have people that continue to come. And so we, we continue to move facilities um, as we need more room. And so that's, that's one item that people can be praying for for us is that we might find a permanent facility and that the government would actually let us use it um, and not try to restrict us from it. Wow. So let's so, uh, I, go ahead. David, I, I forget the the, fall, the rest of your question there. Um, I well, kind of lost track. Oh, that's okay. Just just the fact that you've had to prepare your congregation for the very real possibility that you might be going back to jail again at some point down the road, should they want to make an example out of you, um, uh, Pastor Tim. We've just got uh, a minute left, and um, we didn't have time to get into this, but I appreciate the article: a biblical response to mandatory vaccines. Um, where do you, if you could just speculate a little bit, uh, uh, you might have an, an eye on what's happening up there in Canada that might happen before 
what things that happen in America as far as vaccine passports. Where do you see this going, and how will that impact the church? I do see, I didn't believe it a few weeks ago, but I see it now in our country. Mm-hmm. You know, vaccine passports are being asked for by, by the media, by the government, by, by many influential people in our country, which is just going to put pressure on, on people because whether you're anti-vax or not, if you believe that, that we should make our own medical decisions, mm. uh, that is going to come into question. And uh, you're going to have, have, a, have a second-class citizenry where, where you're not able to travel or have some occupations or, or things like that mm. simply because you will not inject yourself with chemicals that the government says are for your good. That's right. And so it, it's important that the Church be very vocal on this, and, and I would encourage you know, our American brothers, our Canadian brothers here, to be, to be so vocal, because if, if we're not vocal now, we, we simply will not have a voice as, as time goes on. And so I know you guys look to us as, as what is coming down the pipe mm-hmm. in the next decade or so, and, it, and it's coming quicker and quicker yes. month by month yes. in terms okay. of what's happening. And so we need, we need to speak, we need to be together, be united, and, and forget about this uh, trying to appease the world. Mm. Uh, we need to be a, a prophetic voice for Christ, for the Scriptures, and call this world to, to repentance, faith in Christ. Amen. The gospel must be preached, and it is the power of God unto salvation. Pastor Tim Stevens, Fairview Baptist Church, Calgary, thank you so much for your stance, for your time today, and God bless you and your ministry. Thank you, brother. Thank you, David. All right, when we come back, we'll let you know uh, who's going to be on tomorrow. We've got several guests on tomorrow's podcast, and uh, you'll hear from some other Liberty Pastors coming up on Stand for the Truth. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. Tomorrow, Dr. James Taylor, he's a pastor in Oklahoma, specializes in critical race theory. You're going to want to hear this man of God. Also, you will hear from Alex Newman. That's right. We will have another segment with him and then a few other brief segments that I recorded a couple weeks ago at the Liberty Pastors Conference in Edmond, Oklahoma. So a packed podcast tomorrow with several guests that you are going to absolutely be inspired by. And uh, thank you again for uh, listening, for your support. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.